0: Welcome to the EverSaleen podcast, the show that ignites your passion for leadership and empowers you to develop a culture of continuous improvement. I'm your host, Matt Sims, and in each episode, we bring you fascinating insights and invaluable tips from our incredible lineup of guests. What do they all have in common? They share an unwavering dedication to excellence and are the experts in driving engagement, improving metrics and reducing costs.
1: The Ever So Lean
2: Podcast with Matt Sims. You know it makes sense.
0: This episode is sponsored by Catalyst Consulting Limited. Catalyst Consulting exists to help people and organizations work better today and be ready for tomorrow. They have a rich history of igniting business transformation using business agility, lean, Six Sigma, strategy deployment, agile, and change management. They can help you and your organization to develop the skills necessary to work and manage differently. To find out more, check out catalystconsulting.co.uk. Are you fascinated by the mysteries of the night sky? It's no secret that I most definitely am, and it's been such an interest and passion for me since I was a child. I absolutely love all things space. Well, if you are interested in that area, look no further than STFC Rail Space. With over 60 years of experience in space programmes, Rail Space collaborates with leading agencies, universities and companies worldwide to drive innovation and unlock the secrets of space and our environment. But Rouse Space also knows that continuous improvement, problem solving and people development are fundamental to success. That's why they've been developing their own continuous improvement programme. And today we're joined by some of the team who are leading the way to share exactly what's going on. First up here in the studio, we've got Sam Tustain, a thermal engineer and manager of the voice of the business. Sam's focus is on understanding the needs of the business and aligning them to the CI programme. Sam, a very big welcome to the EverSaleen podcast. Thank you so much for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Next up, we've got Helen Butcher, Dr. Helen Butcher, a physicist and CI lead responsible for the Voice of the People work strand. Helen's CI work focuses on understanding the needs of the employees and working with them to come up with solutions to the team's common problems. Helen, welcome to the Ever Celine podcast.
2: Thanks for having us, Matt.
0: Then finally, last but most certainly not least, I'm delighted to have Sophie Hall here with us. Sophie is a senior embedded software engineer and scrum master who focuses on the voice of the customer. She looks at projects with strategic partners and Sophie's work is all about understanding what customers need and delivering innovative solutions to meet those needs. Welcome to the Ever Podcast. Together, they're all part of a passionate team driving Railspace's journey to excellence. And in this episode, they'll share their experiences, insights and hopes for the future that could help get you started on your organization's road to excellence. So sit back, relax and join us on the Eversaleen podcast as we hear their inspiring story. And this is a first for me. I've never had three guests at once. So it's going to be quite a technical challenge, but it's also really nice to have a room full of people as well.
2: Yeah, good luck. (laughs) We'll see how we go. (laughs) Thanks very
0: much. If this is a very (laughs) short episode, you'll know it went very, very wrong. So let's run around the room then and learn a little bit about you as individuals. Sam, you're top of the list. Let's kick off with you. What do you do and how did you end up where you are now?
1: Yeah. So, so really, uh, I'm very much kind of institutionalised. I've been at rail space for um, nearly 10 years now, uh, straight out of university on our, our graduate scheme, joining initially as a, a thermal engineer. So, so my job is to make sure that the hardware that we send into space is going to be capable of surviving the extreme range of temperatures that it's going to have to operate in so you know huge engineering focus lots of teamwork and, and collaboration um, and then really the last two years i've got much more heavily involved in uh, in continuous improvement initially through getting involved in things like auditing in ice 9001 and kind of formal quality management processes and then more recently, being given the opportunity to, to act as one of the leads on, um, on Railspace's new continuous improvement program. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting. And it's, it's a role that I'm hopefully bringing a lot of my engineering background into and, and giving a kind of unique perspective of it.
0: I think there's such a close link between engineering and continuous improvement. You very often see people with a engineering background end up in continuous improvement because the two just goes together so well.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, fundamentally, we're problem solvers. We're, we're engineers because we we see a problem, we have that urge to fix it, um, and it, it's really exciting to to have the opportunity to apply those skills um, more broadly. And, and and at least in my my strand of work, to be able to kind of think strategically and yeah, look look at the bigger picture and ensure Thank that the, so much the activities us. that we're doing here. and our kind of major CI programs uh, or CI projects are, are going to be aligned to our strategic needs.
0: Sophie, same question to you. What's your name and where do you come from, number two? <laughs>
3: uh, well, I came, came from Oxford, Oxfordshire, if that helps. So I actually started my career as a, an audio engineer. I tried to go down the animation and sound design route, but I ended up doing a lot of computer programming in my spare time. So I did a um, computer science master's, and that took me to the organization on the graduate scheme as a a software engineer. Um, And within RAL space, um, my responsibilities have been to ensure that we can actually communicate with the instruments and satellites that we send up into space. So my software sits on those instruments and enables the scientists like Helen to get the information down onto ground so we can do that analysis. From a kind of continuous improvement perspective, I've always been really interested in how we deliver to our customers, what the processes that we use, and that came in really through my degree. I did a lot of work around Agile and also ISO 9001 and the QA process, and I've been involved as a scrum master in improving our processes to deliver high criticality software in a way that we haven't done before. So that really took me into that CI headspace and obviously now doing this role a CI lead, I've been able to apply those kind of process mindset to the uh, voice of the customer uh, strand of work that we're doing.
0: Helen, over to you. So how did you end up where you are now and the CI space in particular? And, and what's your background?
2: Well, um, I've got a slightly different route. I'm a physicist by training. Um, so I started off, um, I've, I've done a doctorate. I did a PhD at the University of Southampton for a few years. And my main area of work on the science side is actually looking at measuring greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. So really linked to sort of climate change and the work that we can do at RAL Space around that. So after finishing up with my PhD, um, I spent some time doing a couple of different things. I've been a scientific editor. So looking at Quality of documents, things like that, has been something that I've I've looked into. I did that as a freelance for a few months. I worked for a large multinational company who do sales into the technical area that I work in, so I've got some experience working in a company as well. And I joined RAL Space around nine years ago. Now Um, I didn't come via the graduate scheme; came in as a staff scientist. So working on these instruments for measuring greenhouse gas in the atmosphere and what we can what we can do to measure and therefore. Kind of along the same domain process, we want to measure what's there before we can sort of see the impact of the changes that these climate initiatives have. So, as you say, it's kind of built into an awful lot of work types, what we do. So from my point of view, I don't have any specific continuous improvement experience before taking on this role around six months ago. I'm a relative newbie. But what I am passionate about is making sure our staff are best equipped to do the jobs that they can. Um, and that's why the sort of staff side of things was the, the most important to me.
0: What a fascinating topic. Climate is such a you know, big topic of conversation. It has been for a number of years now. An amazing space to be working in. It really is. So just for my knowledge, then you are a doctor, aren't you?
2: I am officially a Dr. Helen Butcher, yes.
0: Wow. Do you know what? Right. This is how naive I once was. When I was a postman, I used to deliver to an area where it was quite a prosperous area and there was lots of doctors that lived in that area. And when I used to deliver the mail, I was always fascinated by like how many doctors live there. And my stupidity, I thought they was all GPs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, of course. I mean, trying to explain to my nan that I couldn't fix sort of uh, broken toes and things was was interesting. But yes, not that kind of doctor. <laughs>
0: My wife's Nan, right? When I worked at Royal Mail and I used to go around to see her, she was obsessed with QVC. You know, the shopping channel? She used to buy stuff off there all the time. And she used to say to me, Matt, my package hasn't arrived. Can you have a look for it when you go into work tomorrow? She didn't realize that there would be thousands upon millions of packages and parcels that I'd have to look through to find her one. <laughs> So let's get stuck into this then. So CI at Rao Space. So I met you guys, what was a, probably a couple of months ago now, at a networking event at Rao Space. And each of you got up on stage and gave us a short presentation on the wonderful work that you've been doing, which was so inspiring. It was absolutely brilliant. I think what made it extra mesmerising was a mixture of people's passion for CI and the fact that it was all about the space industry. So two real things colliding together there created a wonderful story, very inspiring, very enthusiastic group of people and full of energy. I loved it. Based on that, I just thought to myself, right, you guys need to come on the podcast and tell this story because other people need to know about this. So kicking off then with you, Helen, what does CI actually look like at RAL Space?
2: The program was set up around a year ago. Um, It was initially led by someone else within our department, um, and we've we've taken it on um, from that point. When it was set up and we came into it, being the three of us sharing the role, um, we very much tried to split the work along these sort of three different strands. So you introduced them, I think, in the in the introduction. So we've got somebody looking after the voice of the business, those important strategic projects that are important to the way the business runs. Got Sophie looking after the voice of the customer. So um, how, how we interact with our customers, how we can do the best for them. And then I look after this strand where we're looking at the improvements that can be made to the processes that aren't necessarily seen by our customers, but that can sort of um, help to make our staff's lives that bit easier.
0: What I really love about your structure is how it's so clearly defined. Those three different strands really make it clear for people who want to come and ask questions or, or get involved. They can really clearly see where each part sits. It really comes across that you're listening to all different parts of the organization is fantastic. And I can imagine that's really good for engagement.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not to say that there's not a, a huge amount of overlap between them as well. And we, we often find that one of us will work on one project and there'll be a conversation that needs to happen between different project leads in, in different strands. But yeah, I, I think it, it does give a really well-defined structure and from a communication point of view as well, it's it's really helpful to us in splitting the work up in that way to be able to talk to staff about different projects and different kind of themes that they sit within.
0: Absolutely fascinating. What kicked it all off then? I know Helen was saying that it was brought in by somebody else, but what was the catalyst behind this? Why go down the CI route?
1: Well, I think that really it, it reflects probably a broader theme across, I guess, the, the overall organisation. So RAL Space is just one department within STFC, which is the the Science and Technology Facilities Council. We're publicly funded, so we're you know, funded by the UK government, and our goal is to maximise the uh, economic benefits to the UK through science, basically, to stimulate economic growth through science. So certainly across the whole of STFC, there's there's a kind of growing... I suppose, a growing appetite for continuous improvement programs. Um, I think within REL space, I, I think there was a, a kind of acknowledgement that there were areas where we could improve. And, you know, space is an incredibly dynamic industry, as as I'm sure you're aware. And there's a lot of activities going on, you know, so we we spoke a lot about our work with organizations like ESA and NASA. But then there's also um, New Space, which is this kind of phenomenon of, you know, smaller kind of startup companies or you know, operating things like CubeSats, which are these sort of miniaturized assets. Basically, space is becoming... I don't know if democratised is the right word, but certainly more, more and more people are, are getting in on, on the space industry and the the industry is rapidly changing. And I think part of it is being driven by uh, a desire to really kind of meet those challenges. And we're, we're obviously operating in very volatile times generally at the moment in, in terms of our kind of global economies. And. Uh, yeah, we we just want to be more agile and, and be more be more proactive about that. Uh, hence, our CI program.
0: Such great reasons to kick it off as well. Really, do sort of ring true for many organisations. I can imagine, Sophie. I know we spoke about you guys leading on the strands, but is there anybody else involved in your structure of CI?
3: Yeah, so alongside us, we've got all of our project leads. So these tend to be those individuals trained at yellow belt or a green belt level in our Lean Six Sigma. And those are the ones who are really in charge of driving those improvements through. They might often be supported by a working group as that comes out of a workshop that we might run or facilitate. Every one of those projects also has got a project sponsor. So that sits within our senior leadership team. So they can help identify, you know, resource blockers or strategic Decisions that really need to be made at that, that top level. As well as that, we've got kind of director sponsorship and um, outside of rail space sponsorship within STFC that, that Sam was mentioning. So there's quite a broad range of people who are involved. As well as kind of direct project involvement, we are trying to engage with absolutely everybody across the department. And that comes through surveys, talks that we do, drop-ins, webinars, any way that we can get the message out there and, and understand the needs of the entire department we're, we're trying to do.
0: Oh, that sounds interesting. So you've got talks, surveys and drop-ins. What's a drop-in?
3: So what we wanted to do was have a kind of hour session every month or so where staff could just come in and ask us questions about what's going on in in CI. Sometimes we have a dedicated session. So for example, we had one around 5S and how we're managing our part storage that was tailored to individuals who were involved in that CI project, but we've had more general ones. And it's really a come eat some cake that usually gets people through the door, ask us questions. You know, We have to acknowledge that this is quite new to the department So people have got questions, people want to know. We want to just give them the space to find out
0: more. Oh, pardon the pub there, Sophie. Very good. Space. I like what you did there. (laughs) That's a great idea, actually. Offer cake, get people in and give them the opportunity in a relaxed atmosphere, a relaxed environment, just to ask questions they might have about the process and what you're up to. Really good way of engaging with people uh, and doing it in a relaxed environment like that as well just opens people up a little bit more, I think.
3: Yeah, we've tried to kind of have posters put up as well. So people don't even need to talk to us if they don't want to.
0: <laughs> I'm sure they do. Uh, Sad, did you want to add to that?
1: No, I was just going to say that I, I think it, it's really powerful having that two-way communication. I mean, we, we've had a lot of um, success as well with things like staff talks and newsletters, direct email surveys but I I think it's really powerful getting that feedback directly I think people feel a greater sense of belonging to what we're doing when they can be directly involved in that way rather than just being kind of talked at I guess (laughs) so yeah we've had a lot of success with it
0: yeah you cannot underestimate that being part of the solution not just part of the problem
1: yeah absolutely and I mean I, I think it's also important to add at this stage as well that uh, and this very much ties into to Helen's strands that they're really a key part in defining what problems we're solving as well. So yeah, I don't know Helen, if you want to say a bit more about our uh, our staff suggestion <laughs> portal.
2: Thanks, Sam. I'm happy to pick up on that. So our uh, staff theme um, within the continuous improvement program is is driven, the the direction and the projects that we choose are driven by our staff. So at the very beginning of this program, a steering group was set up, which takes um, staff representing all of the different divisions across our department. um, And we bring them together once a quarter, we have a staff suggestions list, which uh, people can update at any time. That's freely available on our on our website, and also available. We, we stick it up in the kitchens and things with a QR code, so people can access it when when they've got some issues there. What that gives us is a, a, an enormous backlog, effectively, of um, projects that we can do. Um, we use the continuous improvement steering group for a great group of people who go through and they look at what the impact of those projects could be. Which people is it going to affect? Is it going to affect a lot of people across the department or is it going to be quite an expensive problem to fix for just those few? So what they're doing is looking across that entire portfolio, I guess, of problems that people have and trying to pick out those ones that are going to give us the sort of the biggest win that we we can get.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. So when you look at the biggest win, are you looking at purely financial benefits or do you look at other metrics in there as well?
2: We're looking at other metrics as well. So we're looking at financial, we're looking at staff satisfaction, we're looking at time saving, things like that. If we can get rid of some of the sort of small, quite irritating tasks that people need to do repetitively, is that something that we can then, so we're making up that time so that people can spend it on the things that they came to RAL Space to do, their engineering, their, their science, those activities that they, they want to do and be world leaders in. So it's a, an interesting sort of take to have on that there's an awful lot of aspects can go into that and trying to determine yeah what that impact can be but also kind of what the effort staff will need to do to put into that to see that benefit overall
0: yeah that's an incredibly powerful engagement tool as well and what i really like about it is that not only are people self-developing and becoming involved and learning new things they're actually delivering benefits for the organization at the same time so it's kind of like a learn by doing approach
2: Very much so. So the initial set of project leads that we had on the staff suggestion side are made up of either the people who suggested these um, activities themselves or people who volunteered to lead these projects. Um, So when we pull a few projects through from the backlog, we'll send out an email or a message to all staff and say, we've got these projects coming through. Is anyone interested in taking a lead on these? And we've had a great response to the staff suggestion side from that point of view. Got some really keen people who we've now trained up over the last three or four months to be able to lead these projects and make that impact. Yeah,
0: and do you find that they get bitten by the bug? So, like, once they get started and they do one, they're like, oh, and it gets hold of them. They got to do more and more and more afterwards. It's always the way.
2: Yeah, it's hugely important, and ultimately, we want to create an environment within within Railspace where people can see improvements that can be made in their local areas and feel like they have the skills to be able to make those improvements themselves. So being able to bring this wider into into the space team and have that training and have that knowledge of how the improvement process can work for them is really important part of what we do as well.
0: So what does submitting an idea actually look like then? Do they have like an intranet portal they go on to or is it handwritten slips that go into a box? What does that look like?
2: Um, so at the moment, it's as simple as an electronic form. So we just have a little survey It says, what is your improvement and what do you think the impact can be across the department? And that's as simple as it is.
0: Yeah, you have to be careful because you could end up with what I call the Argos syndrome which was like when you was a kid and it was sort of November and you were getting ready to write your Christmas list for Father Christmas, you'd get the Argos catalogue out and you'd go, right, I want that, 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 I want that. You get this wish list of what people want.
2: Exactly. And that's
0: always a risk that you could end up with. (laughs)
2: It can lead us to become unstuck sometimes. We get an awful lot of solutions through on our portal, which is great. We love that people have, as you say, that thinking to get to the solution. But what it can do is kind of unstick us sometimes in terms of measuring the process and making sure it's the right solution for that problem. But it is really good that people are engaged on that side and are thinking of not just this is a big problem, but also we can do this to sort of make it a bit better for ourselves.
1: I I think it's both. I I think we, we certainly have it very much bottom-up driven so through our, our staff suggestions portal but then we also in within my strand of work we also have that that kind of senior management input as well so the the senior management team around a year ago now did a, a value stream mapping workshop of our overall business and it was really from that value stream mapping workshop that a lot of the projects that are in my my strand of uh, of the program were, were really developed from i think that's the advantage of having The three of us really—we can each look after a different aspect of of rail space and really get involvement from staff across all levels of the organisation.
3: I was just going to say that, despite having the the three distinct uh, strands, we have a you know an overall strategy that we as a team work on, and underpinning that is communication and engagement. And we totally recognise that without that engagement for staff or whatever level, these improvements or changes that we're putting forward can have the best intentions, but ultimately they need to be sustained so it's our job as a team to come up with a you know strategy for how we we go about doing that so there's definitely a cohesion amongst the three of us as well as those very distinct sort of work packages
0: yeah and it's it's so true as well because you the sustainability piece is the most important part because you know in the, the best will in the world you guys aren't going to be there forever you know you could move into other roles or leave the organization you don't want it to fall apart and your great work be lost I saw a really good video on LinkedIn earlier that made me chuckle, and it kind of visualizes that sustainability piece and making sure you address the root cause of the problem, not the symptom. It's a real video. There's a sheep, and it was stuck down a crack in the ground between two cliffs, and this guy was pulling it out by its leg. And it pulled this sheep out and the sheep bounded off up the mountain and the camera goes up. And as it bounds off around the mountain, it went to jump over the crack again and it fell down in the middle of it, exactly the same as it was, just like 100 yards up the road. And the idea is that's visualising that if you don't address the root cause, you can fall back into old habits and the same thing can happen again. Sustainability.
3: So we've had a lot of support from coaches and that's really guided us as a team for how we facilitate those conversations, especially throughout workshops. And I think when people sit through it and work through an actual root cause analysis, for example, or understanding what the problem is, they see it and they see the benefit of it. And I think it's the nature of delivering something and not seeing the problem reoccur that teaches people that there's a benefit to it. I think you learn by doing. I think it's been... One of the biggest challenges that I've seen is getting people to take that step back and think, why is this happening? And not just go to the kind of sticky plaster solution. Like Sam said, we are naturally built to be problem solvers. Majority of us are scientists or engineers, and we want to just fix something and we like moving quickly. But taking that step back, doing a, a full define, a full measure, things like that, um, is tricky to get people to have that shift in mindset so that we actually you know, apply the right solution.
0: Are you ready to elevate your team's ways of working? Are you seeking fresh insights and growth opportunities? Our experts will assess your team's practices, providing valuable insights for improvement and celebration. Reward and recognise your team with this certification tailored specifically for creating an improvement culture. The BQF Academy Accreditation acknowledges your journey, outstanding outcomes and future plans. Whether you utilise Lean, Six Sigma, project management or continuous improvement techniques, this certification celebrates your incredible work and positive impact. Propel your team's performance to new heights with the BQF Team Excellence Culture Certification. Visit www.bqf.org.uk today and let's celebrate your success together.
1: 13-time Shingo Prize winner, Dr.
2: Jeffrey Leiker and Toyota Kata author, Mike Rother have created the Improvement Kata and Coaching Kata online course. This inexpensive compact program is designed to transform your thinking and approach, making you a highly skilled learner and coach. Engage in deliberate practice to turbocharge your progress. You also get lifetime access to the materials, including all of the bonus interviews.
0: Why pay up to 10 times the price elsewhere listening to some consultant when you can gain direct insights from the masters
1: themselves? Skip the rest and go with the best. Join us
0: today and embark on your journey to excellence. Just click on the link below to start your journey. So, what was it like to get this going then? How did you actually get it up and running? Because I know from experience in the past that getting that senior leadership buying, getting that engagement from other stakeholders and people within the organization can be really, really tricky. And I think that would be really useful information for other people who are currently trying to get this going in their organizations to try and understand from your learnings. Helen, I'll bring that one to you.
2: So to get going, we, we've had great support from people within our organisation who have more experience in sort of the CI initiatives than we do. We've got great support from um, STFC, a lady called Jane Price, who you met as well, I think, Matt, who's, who's wonderful and is a huge advocate for some of the activities that we do. And we've also had support from UKRI as well. We've got a big network of support there as well in terms of CI practitioners across different parts of the organisation. Bringing it into RAL space, it has been uh, interesting and tricky, um, mainly because to start off with, we speaking a slightly different language to what people are expecting, and getting people trained up, even just in a sort of an awareness of continuous improvement, has been really beneficial to us over the last um, sort of the last three or four months. We've seen that come through. People are now able to sort of understand the the techniques and the processes that we're going through in trying to do this.
0: So you talk about language. Did you have to change any of the terminology to sort of localise it so that it was more understandable or fit more with your industry? Because I know that that's something that um, a lot of organisations have to do. And when we were speaking to Sarah Harris on a previous episode from the legal industry, they've had to do the same where they don't have customers, they have clients. Did you have to do anything like that?
2: Um, So I'd say from my side, i pick and choose tools depending on who the audience is. There are some things that land differently with different groups of people, um, and being a little bit adaptable when you're doing sort of workshops and things like that. But I think being a sort of scientific engineering technology-based organization, the concept of measuring something really well before you make changes to it or forming a hypothesis almost within a scientific point of view, and then seeing what the changes are, um, or the the impact of the changes that you provide to that, it's it's quite a similar process to some of the processes that we use anyway. So in terms of changing the language, we haven't had, to, from my side, I haven't had to do too much of that.
1: I would just add, I think demystifying the language around continuous improvement has been a really key part as well. So uh, we we often throw around terms like Lean Six Sigma and 5S, and the majority of staff might have come across those terms before, but they don't really know what it's all about. And I think, yeah, kind of reassuring staff that, about what it is and then how it's useful to them is is a really key part. I mean, the, the 5S one is particularly confusing for us because we also have a project called S5 at the moment. Yeah, when you're emailing about that, it's very, uh, very easy for it to get
0: mixed up. But, uh... Yeah, that's a really valid point. Can you, can you imagine, put yourself in the position of someone who's worked for an organisation for a long time, you know your job, you know your role, but you know there's issues, You've been doing it for so long, and then all of a sudden this new methodology comes in. We're now doing lean and continuous improvement. And all these new terminology and all these new words get thrown at you. Some of them are Japanese words. It's quite daunting, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even things like the different
1: coloured belts for (laughs) for lean six. uh, We we get so many, so many questions about that, what what the different belts mean and and how it how it applies to them. But as I said, I, I think once you once you explain it and you kind of demystify the terminology people do do get more on board with it. i mean I, I think everyone knows what lean is at least and also things like agile methodology as well that we're starting to to use a bit more now people are, are really coming on board with so yeah we we are starting to get that, that kind of shift at the moment but uh, yeah it, that, that was a, a challenge at first certainly i mean also a challenge for ourselves i mean we as helen points out we're all very new to this there's certainly an aspect of personal development that we had to do as well to to bring ourselves up to speed and and to become the kind of experts and uh, I mean I, I'm I kind of yeah not entirely sure we're quite the experts yet it's uh, still only been you know under a year that we've been, we've been doing this and I don't know if you can ever really become an expert in Continuous improvement.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say that, actually. That's one of the things that makes continuous improvement such an exciting space to work in, is there's always more to learn. There's always additional tools, different methodologies, different approaches. It's so vast and varied that it doesn't become boring. It's what keeps you going. It keeps the energy within it.
3: Yeah I just want to come back to the conversation around how do you really kick it off and how how has it been to kick it off and I think one of the key things is for people to know that we're talking about processes and not people and if you're going in you start talking about okay we need to potentially improve an area in which we work it can be concerning it can be confronting for individuals and I think it's through experience working with us that we are looking at the process and we're all working towards a common goal and this is not a, coming in and looking at individuals' performance, for example. And I think that was, you know, quite significant for people to realise that that was what was happening.
0: Yeah, that's such a valid point as well. It's, it's so important that people understand that we're, we're not attacking the people, we're attacking the process. The people's the very last thing that you look at because very few people go to work genuinely to do a bad job. People don't go in and go, right, I'm deliberately going to be naff at my job today.
3: Exactly. We, we really want to work towards this, this common goal you know, RAL space delivering instruments for the UK space industry. And every member of staff is working towards that goal. So we just need to look at the processes that support that and how do we improve them?
0: So we spoke about personal development. What's the objective for you guys personally? Is the aim to work towards black belt territory? Is that where you're going? Starting off for ourselves, I mean, I, I think we,
1: we've all come to this obviously with an interest in it and with with some kind of experience of continuous improvement but without any kind of formal background so you know we we immediately focus on our own development i guess bringing ourselves up to speed you know we we've done our our green belt training um you know we we've learned about uh, 5s agile all, all of that kind of stuff i think more widely across the departments uh, upskilling of staff is a really key objective of ours we we want to get to a point where we hit that critical mass of staff that are, are kind of capable of doing these projects where really this whole process becomes a lot more a lot more self-sustaining. You know, we're we're providing the initial impetus, but we want it to 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 kind of move on its own in the future. So so yeah, I think the the selection of of staff to lead the projects, a lot of it is based on, I guess kind of who, who cares the most, who's the most passionate about it, who's got the most to gain, and who's got the most enthusiasm for it. I, I think the majority of staff are very keen to get trained, to get that, that kind of formal background and um, to get things like their the kind of yellow and their green belts. Yeah. So I think, it, yeah, it's really a case of identifying who best suited to run the project, who's got the enthusiasm for it. Um, and then we as the the kind of leads of the program overall, giving them the support and the training that they then need to make it happen.
0: It's hard, isn't it? There's a lot to it. People think you just sit in an exam and, and that's just one element. They sit in the exam and understanding the theory is one part, but then you equally, you need to do the coursework and submit your evidence. So there's lots involved in it.
1: I think for, for me, it's uh it's an interesting one. I mean, I, I'm still very embedded in the, the engineering and the, the technology. I, I mean, what I'm really excited about kind of longer term is how I can take all of the the skills that I've learned um, during my time in this role back into my my engineering work. I mean, I'm I'm doing it to an extent at the moment, but I kind of I mean, th- this is maybe a bit of a, a frustration with the role sometimes that there's there's loads of amazing work going on, but because we're the ones leading the work, we're not always the ones kind of doing the work and getting involved in the nitty gritty of it and and that side of it. Really excites me. Certainly, I you know I, I definitely want to get my kind of full, full kind of green belt. We've done the initial training, uh, we've completed the exam. We've now just got to you know, do our own project and and to get that um, that official accreditation. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say no to a black belt. Um, <laughs> but I know it's gonna be a, I know it's gonna be a long term process.
0: So given the nature of the beast and and the industry and the work that you do, where you're only creating one or two of an item or of a product that you're going to be sending up. I presume that then means that the project times are vastly different to what most people would experience so you're creating only a couple of a particular item and that could go on for months and months and months I expect rather than being you know sort of little and often
3: Yeah, so um, I think one of the the key projects we've been looking at is our um, design for manufacture capabilities. This is really how do we design our parts to ensure that they can be assembled and manufactured into something that is exactly what we need it to to do. This is really quite typical, like lean manufacturing, really. Um, How do you ensure you don't get defects in your products when you assemble them? We do things that are highly innovative and very, very unique. So it's in its own way, not typically manufacturing. So we're not talking about shipping out a hundred of the same thing or even a million of the same thing. We might do one or two.
0: And I guess it's not like you can make a mistake and do a product recall. (laughs) Once it's up there, it's up there.
3: Absolutely. So some of our projects can be 10 years in the making and that's you are delivering one or two models of the same instrument. So you go through your initial sort of conception phase. You might do some your research behind whether this idea is feasible and capable, and it could take 10 years before you have your instrument, sometimes longer. So yeah, I'm probably the only um, field where we can actually change the software once you get it up into space so we we can sort of send a new version of the software but uh, what that tends to mean is that other problems that get brought into the project until that point they'll say oh it's all right we'll fix it in the software.
0: (laughs) Yeah you're the fool guy you come along with a dustpan and brush afterwards and sweep up the mess.
3: (laughs) No pressure no pressure.
0: Helen how about yourself what are some of the projects that you've been working on?
2: Um, So I've got quite a mixed bag really so I take care of a few larger projects so things like updating things like our our stuff intranets and handbooks and things like that now we work in this sort of hybrid virtual environment across a lot of people people have different ways that they need to access information so we're sort of doing a bit of work around that and I also look after some quick wins so we're looking at whether we can deploy different um, IT methods of doing some of the sort of day-to-day tasks that people have to do that will will get them that sort of little bit of time back so it's quite a mixed bag really and all sorts of things from sort of food provision in some of our buildings to yeah as I say sort of much much larger pieces of work like like looking at um, how our staff get the information they need to do their jobs every day.
0: Time reductions is a really interesting one because people can get transfixed on time reduction and save five minutes here and 10 minutes there and sort of build that up. It's a stranded cost because you can't actually remove five minutes or 10 minutes worth of someone's work day. I think it's really important that you then, if you save that time, you reinvest that into value-added activity somewhere else within the production line. And I guess you could like Yamazumi that in the future, which is a really cool tool where you work balance it out.
2: Yeah, exactly. So an awful lot of staff suggested projects tend to be around that theme It's how can we make what we're doing that little bit more efficient so that you can have that time back to, to spend on those, as I say, those, those big thinking things, those scientific and engineering problems.
0: I think once you get people to understand that you're not necessarily going to take that time out of their day jobs, it becomes a lot easier. That understanding is so important.
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely agree. Getting those bits of time back that people can then use for those exciting things, those sort of mission critical things is, is really important part of what we're doing.
1: Uh, I, I think similar to Helen, very much a, a mixed bag. Um, a lot of it about improving processes. So uh, whether that's processes around our how, how we bid for work um, and how we cost work or whether that's processes around our kind of methods for how we deliver projects and particularly the kind of larger um, more more complex projects trying to standardize certain aspects of that. One really good project to highlight actually is the, the work that we've been doing on our parts management utilizing 5S methodology. So so we, we kind of identified a problem in our storage areas. When we bring in a part into our stores area for, for use in our instrument assemblies, making sure that we have a, a proper system in place for, for where exactly it is and and how it's logged and Making sure that these these things don't go missing, uh, so so we've completely revolutionized our, our stores using 5s. And what I really like about that project is it's a really visual representation of what we're doing. Not to say that we were completely disorganized before, but you you see the just the transformation in those areas. And yeah, I, I think it's those kind of projects that really do help with with getting the kind of buy-in that we've been looking for people can just kind of see change happening in front of them and it's a lot easier for them to get on board.
0: Yeah, I think that was one of the the projects that your colleague Paul presented on when I came to the networking day uh, earlier this year. And the before and after photos were just mind blowing. It had gone from sort of your Bob standard, stores area that looked a bit untidy, unkept, and was quite difficult to find anything, to this immaculate, brilliant, shiny-looking storage area where everybody knew where everything was and everything had a place. It was absolutely brilliant. And visualising it like that, that people can see, makes such a difference. It really inspires people. It's amazing the power of having a clean and tidy area as well. A, A clear work area really does clear the mind. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And um, the really great thing about it as well is that that work is now inspiring others within our department to take similar approaches. So now our electronics team are are doing a similar thing in their area, and they're massively overhauling um, how they store their parts. And we're seeing other ideas for applications of 5S, and not just kind of physical spaces, but also virtual spaces. So how we kind of you know organize files and bits of software and things like that. So uh yeah, it, it's it's certainly been a, a really successful project. You know, we, we've had a lot of a lot of support to make it happen and we initially had things like rapid improvement events to really kind of kick start. Uh and then also we've we've benefited as well by by visiting other organizations that do five s well and um understanding what it is about how they do it that that's so successful.
0: Oh, That's very interesting. So, you've actually learned from others. You've kind of benchmarked what they're doing.
1: Yeah. So, we've sent a team of staff out to um, to different organizations to look at how they do it and to, to understand their approach. And we found it really useful. I mean, there's definitely a, a danger sometimes to benchmarking. I mean, not every organization is the same. And we've, we've got to make sure that some of the The more specific things that they've applied will also work for us, but uh, certainly really useful in terms of generating ideas and and kind of building enthusiasm for it. And I think that whole process has taught us the the power of going and talking to other people outside of our organization. So, yeah, really, really successful, I think.
0: Yeah, one of the things I really love about the continuous improvement area is that you can speak to people from other industries, other companies, other parts of the world, and the language is the same and you can really bounce off of each other. Everybody's got that same passion and enthusiasm and drive for change. Um, It's a really lovely network. Once you start reaching out on things like LinkedIn and stuff, you can really build a great network of people that support each other. It's fantastic. One of the things I wanted to loop back on just really quickly, Helen, you mentioned earlier about the steering groups. This sounds like a really good way of engaging people. What does that look like and what actually is it?
2: Yeah, so there's a group of sort of nine staff um, who come from all, of, all sort of different walks of life, different parts of our department. Um, and we bring them together mostly in a workshop format. We bring them in sort of once a quarter. What they'll do is have a look through our sort of backlog of suggestions and they'll prioritise those, um, looking at sort of the impact and the effort of these and just making sure that the suggestions that are going through from that staff suggestion aspect are the ones that are going to have the biggest impact across the most number of people and for sort of a reasonable amount of effort for the sort of impact that you're going to have. So it's a really good team of people to have working on that. Really good discussion points. Um, We're a very diverse organisation. We are all scientists and engineers, but we've got people working on sort of climate science. We've got people well even just across the three of us we've got very very different roles within the organisation so the things that are important to those different parts of the organisation aren't necessarily common so it's been really effective from a networking point of view I think for that group of people to understand more about the problems that different parts of the department have um, and how we can kind of work together I guess as a collective to, to do that. Those staff suggestions go on to have sort of volunteers come in to lead those projects either the people who suggested them or people who have volunteered to lead them and to date across all of our projects across the department so this includes not just the staff projects but also the voice of the business and the voice of the customer projects as well bearing in mind this time last year not really anyone knew what continuous improvement was within the department. We've now got sort of 60 or 70 people involved, directly involved in the workshops and the activities that are going on. So that's quite a significant portion of our department. And it's really good to see see people's involvement and that they want to sort of be involved in the work that we're doing.
0: Yeah, they've got bitten by the bug. Yes, definitely. And once that happens, that's it. You're in for life. You're a lifer. So I'm gonna run round each of you now And ask you for one tip that you would give to somebody who's just starting off their continuous improvement journey in their organisation. What's the one tip that you would give them that will help them get up and running from your experience? And Sam, you look like a man that's in the know, so I'm going to come to you first.
1: (laughs) I think I'm going to go with the easy one, which is really focus on your communications and your your engagement. I think that's so fundamental to bringing people on board with with what you're doing, but. Having a a clear plan for how we're going to communicate people and and making it a two-way conversation as well is, is
0: really key. That's a great tip. Brilliant. Sophie, how about you? Same question. What would your tip be?
3: So I'm going to say something that I learned is leave your ego at the door when you go into these conversations. Trust that the people that you talk to have the best knowledge on the ground for this process you can't necessarily go in and tell people how to run a process or how to do things. And it can be hard to take that personal step back, but you've got to listen to everyone else's opinions. Like, so I guess that's that communication side, but it's, you know, if, if you are leading the program, be prepared to sometimes get it wrong and be told that you don't know how that process works.
0: Yeah. It's like you wouldn't have a plumber around to replumb your kitchen. And then as he walks through the door, stop him and tell him how to do it. You expect him to know he's the expert.
3: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. As a software engineer, there are plenty of things that I know nothing about. I don't have much to do with, say, mechanical engineering. So, you know, I can't go into those conversations as an expert. So I have to let the expert do
0: the, the talking. Helen, same question to you then. What would be your one tip?
2: Um, I'd say from my point of view it's um, looking at the opportunities to learn so we've had so much opportunity to learn from a personal point of view about what goes on in the department but also sort of looking outside looking for that best practice as Sam said of how to deploy some of these tools and techniques in different organizations some that are similar to us and just making sure you're seeking out that sort of that that knowledge and that experience that other people have had as we've mentioned, we're relatively new to this. So seeking out that experience has been a really important part of what we're doing and the success that we've had so far.
0: Yeah, that's a good tip. You can also listen to podcasts about Lean as well, just like the So Lean podcast. It gives you some great information.
1: <laughs> I've, I've certainly learned a lot from listening to your podcast, Matt.
0: Oh, thank you. That's very kind. This, this bit's staying in the edit, for sure. Yeah. Right, I'm now gonna put you all to the test. You've never experienced a test like this. Sending things to space, easy peasy compared to this as you all take on the yes, no game. But it's actually got a bit of a spin on it because there's three of you here today rather than the normal one guest. We're gonna do things a little bit differently and make it a little bit more exciting. So I've got three cards in front of me, card one, card two, and card three. Now, each card has a different topic and the questions that you will get, dependent on which card you choose, will all have questions related to that subject. So it makes it a little bit more of a challenge. (laughs) So the yes-no game, super simple. You just can't say yes or no. Only two words out of the whole English language that you can't say. How easy is that?
1: When you say it like that, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Three scared faces staring back at me here. So what I would say, though, is it sounds really, really easy. But when you've got the music playing in the background and you've got the clock counting down for 60 seconds and the questions are coming at you really fast, your mind goes into meltdown and it's really difficult. It's actually harder than it sounds. Trust me, all of the other guests will tell you exactly the same thing. If you hear the gong that means that you have said yes no or a variance of yes and no and you've deemed to be out there is no arguing no var I will have the final decision right any volunteers to go first
3: <laughs> I don't mind I'll give it I'll give it a go I'll give it a go
0: Would you like card number 1 number 2 or number 3 Sophie
3: I'm going to go 3
0: Right your chosen topic is friendships
3: Oh, God,
0: Okay. Right, Sophie, we have 60 seconds on the clock. Do not say yes or no. It's as simple as that. Super easy. Do you have a best friend? I do. Have you ever travelled with a friend? I have. Is your closest friend someone that you have known for a long time? They are. How long?
3: Ten years.
0: Did you say ten years? Ten years. Do you have a friend that you could always rely on?
3: Absolutely.
0: Have you ever fallen out with a close friend?
3: Of course.
0: What was it about?
3: I couldn't tell you.
0: <laughs> do you have friends from different cultures and backgrounds? I do. Have you ever introduced two friends who have later become close without you?
3: Absolutely, they have.
0: That's horrible, isn't it? You, you kind of feel left out then.
3: Mhm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can't say. Mm-hmm. Why not? That's <sighs> cheating. That's a cop out. You can't say that.
3: I think that's cheating. <laughs> that's
0: yes. That's yes. You're not having that. No, uh... no, no. You did really, really well, though. You were thank so you. close to the thank end. Thank you, thank you. You did try and cheat, but we just won't dwell on that. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> well done. Absolutely brilliant. You've set a very high bar, and I'm nervous for you, Sam and Helen. I really am. Good luck, guys. <laughs> right. Who's going next, then?
1: Uh,
0: yeah, go on. I'll get out of the way next. <laughs> right. Well, that means Helen. Helen's going to be left with whatever subject is left, then, isn't she? Right then, Sam, you've got card number one or card number two. What would be your choice?
1: I'll go for card one.
0: Oh, okay. So card one is food. Oh, interesting. Right, Sam, we have 60 seconds ready and loaded into the system. Do not say yes or no. All your questions are about food. Do you like spicy food? I love spicy food. Have you ever tried sushi? I have and I didn't really enjoy it to be honest. Yeah, I tried it once um, and I actually quite liked it, but it's not my favourite food. Is pizza one of your favourite foods? It is absolutely my favourite food, I can live on it. Wow, what's your favourite type of pizza? I'm a big fan of Hawaiian to be honest with you. You're a pineapple one kind of guy then, brilliant, respect definitely am. Do you enjoy eating vegetables? I tolerate eating vegetables. Yeah, I think we're all the same. Have you ever eaten street food? I have and I always really enjoy it when I do. Did you get any food poisoning? I don't think I've ever had food poisoning from that. I'm always scared of getting food poisoning from street food. <laughs> do you like to cook at home? Don't worry, Sam, because you've done it. You did it. You smacked it in 60 seconds. That was so much more classical than uh, than so much. (laughs) You guys are so cool. You can tell you work in high-pressured environments. The yes-no game just has no impact on you whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah, 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 definitely. I can say (laughs) yes. Yeah, you want to go back to launching things into space much easier. Right. Well, Helen, I honestly don't know where you go from here.
2: I know. It sounds like they've been practising, to be honest, doesn't it?
0: I think they (laughs) have. So basically, Helen, you've got the choice of card number two or card number two. What would your choice be?
2: Oh, it's a tricky question, Matt, that one. I think I'll go with card number two.
0: So card number two, then, is all about movies. Okay. Right, Helen, the bar is incredibly high. 60 seconds are on the clock. Do not say yes or no. Do you enjoy watching horror movies?
2: I do not enjoy watching horror movies.
0: Have you ever seen a movie in 3D? I have. Is comedy your favourite movie genre?
2: I quite like comedy.
0: What is your favourite movie genre?
2: I quite like a rom-com, to be honest. Do you cry? Of course.
0: (laughs) Do you enjoy watching movies in theatres or at home?
2: I prefer watching at home.
0: Oh, really? Interesting. Prefer your home comforts?
2: Yes, definitely. Oh, it was going so well. You
0: know what it is, though? It's the follow-up questions. They catch you off guard and sort of like, that's it, you're done then. (laughs) Yeah.
2: It does, definitely.
0: (laughs) Well, that was very competitive and you all did really, really well. But I think we have our champion, our space Yes No champion, is Sam. Well done, Sam. Incredible effort. Amazing. Stick that one on your CV. Wow, thank you. I
1: don't know what to say. Yeah, I definitely will.
0: (laughs) At this point, I should also give a very big thank you to my glamorous assistant, ChatGPT, who generated those questions for us this morning. Splendid job, ChatGPT. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> well, look, thank you all so much for coming on to the Everceline podcast today. Really appreciate you taking the time to spend with me and sharing with us the wonderful stories and the journey that you've undertaken and the learning that you're on is absolutely brilliant. Where can people go if they want to learn more about Rao Space?
1: Well, we've got our website, of course, Um, we've got uh, LinkedIn, our our Twitter feed, Uh, we're all over the socials. So uh, it's not very difficult to find us. We're, We're definitely out there and we're always willing to hear from more people. So feel free to get in touch.
0: And if you do follow them on social media, you're in for some treats because quite often little pictures or graphics and videos pop up on my timeline from Space, and every single one of them is mind-blowing and it's like, wow, that's incredible. It just ho- I'm a space buff, so it hooks me in. It's brilliant. They'll pop up whilst I'm on a conference call and I'll be looking at them on my, on my phone and I'll be distracted and I'll suddenly hear people go, Matt, Matt, Matt. And I'm like, oh, sorry, yeah, I am listening, I am listening. But thank you all again. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank
2: you so much for having having us.
0: Thanks very much, Matt. So some key takeaways from today's discussion with Helen, Sophie and Sam. I absolutely love talking to them. And the fact that it's about space just makes it even more exciting for me. So what I really like about what they've done and I think we could all learn from is the approach of the strands, the three different strands, the voice of the business, the voice of the staff and the voice of the customer. That clear definition between the three, although they overlap quite frequently, but the clear definition between the three, listening to the voice of each of those different areas is such a great way of getting that engagement and making sure that you're covering every aspect when you're trying to identify the problems and find the solutions. Really good approach. Sponsors for projects was also another really key takeaway for me. They get sponsors from stakeholders and directors, which is fantastic. If you get that kind of overarching buy-in leadership from a senior leader or an external stakeholder and get them behind you, it just adds momentum to the project that you're working on and really helps it move through. Engagement was another key takeaway for me making sure that they engage with people through talks, through surveys, through the drop-in sessions that we were speaking about. They are amazing ways of communicating with everybody. And just like Sophie said, if you can get that buy-in, it sustains. It's more long-term. It's not the short-term gain. It's the long-term culture that you're trying to create. Sam mentioned about the value stream mapping very early on. So very early in their journey, they did a value stream map, really helped them understand their processes end to end. Cannot recommend that enough. A great value stream map can never be underestimated. And one of the ways that I love to do a value stream map is on the wall with a team on post-it notes don't write on the wall whatever you do don't blame me don't do that write it on a post-it note and you can stick the post-it notes up on the wall you could even color code it and you can move the post-it notes around then so you're, you've you got like a living breathing value stream map a great exercise to do with people that have never been involved in CI before because it really gets the mind thinking and you can visualize exactly what it looks like and quite often you get the do we really do that moment it's such a common theme. Do it. You'll see exactly what I mean. Um, demystifying the terminology was another really cool piece that I gained out of this. Don't focus on the, the terminology that's really confusing, really long, the Japanese words. Demystify it. Make it accessible. Make people understand. Don't use the terminology if you don't need to. Make it fit your organization. And lastly, I think is a really, really, really good approach, is the Space team kicked off with 5S. They 5S their storeroom and the parts department and honestly I've seen the pictures it's absolutely brilliant and that's really inspired people because they've really seen a visible change and an improvement in their workplace. You cannot underestimate the power of a really good proper 5S. It's not just about drawing yellow lines on the floor there's so much more to it. Definitely recommend that approach. That brings us to an end of this episode of the EverSaleen podcast. Thanks to Helen, Sam and Sophie again for joining us today and being so open and honest about how they have begun their journey to creating a sustainable CI culture at Rail Space. An incredible and inspiring story that undoubtedly will have its ups and downs as their chapters are written. But with such a talented team, passion, togetherness and willingness to learn and develop both as individuals and as an organisation, I'm excited to see what's to come in the future. If you like the sound of today's show and would like to hear more, please subscribe to the Eversalene podcast at Eversalene.com where you'll also find episodes that you might have missed and are well worth checking out. Also, if you're on the socials, search for the Eversalene podcast, give us a follow and let me know all about your lean efforts because I really would love to hear all about them. And who knows, you could be on here telling us your story very, very soon. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. And don't forget, Celine you know it makes sense. The Eversaline podcast is researched, produced, and recorded by Matt Sims. Visit eversaline.com to find out more.